Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is going on, everybody? It's another collaboration here. We got the stochastic and DFS by the numbers crossover. So as you guys are watching this video, do Brady and myself a big favor. Like the video. Subscribe to both our channels, the stochastic channel and the DFS by the numbers channel. Brady covers really everything over on his channel, the DraftKings side of things, prize picks, he's doing betting breakdowns, and just an abundance of content every day. So go check out Brady. And then for me over at Stochastic, I'll be doing a full slate breakdown on Friday using our Sims tool where I simulate out the slate and I try to identify which fights and which fighters that I am looking to roster. But we're going to be doing an overview of the slate with some of our core plays for this weekend. And where I want to start, Brady, is with the main event, which is what I'm really looking forward to. We've got Alexander Volkanovsky taking on Ilya Teporia. And it, it's a fight that's seen a lot of line movement because Volk, who had opened up around a minus 200 favorite, it's now close to a pick which as a result, this is priced right in the mid-range on DraftKings. 8,200 on the Volk side, 8,000 on the Teporia side. Which way are you leaning for DFS? Yeah, um, I'm leaning on the Alexander Volkanovsky side here at 8,200. And... I don't know. I, I feel like there's some recency bias here because Alexander Volkanovsky, I was talking about it on one of my shows. Like there's a, a tier list in terms of the featherweight division. In tier number one, you have Volkanovsky. In tier number two, there's like a massive drop off. And then it's Max Holloway, who which he beat three times, the third time dominantly, where I thought he was about to finish the dude. And then in tier number three, you have your Yair's, your your Brian Ortega's, your Arnold Allen's, Moser Evlev's, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And Teporia, he, you know, he beat Josh Emmett. That's great. He beat Bryce Mitchell. That's great. But, you know, he didn't have to go through and, you know, fight your your Arnold Allen's, your Moser Evlev's, who which he was supposed to fight. He didn't have to fight a Yair Rodriguez, um, et cetera, et cetera. So he's going and, and taking a big step of competition. Like this is a massive step of a competition going from 38-year-old Josh Emmett to Alexander Volkanovsky, you know, the best featherweight of all time. So, yeah, I think it's a show-me spot here for Teporia. Not say I'm going to completely fade the guy I'm not, but, you know, I'm going to have more exposure to Alexander Volkanovsky here. He's a great drafting scorer as well. I love the volume, um, you know, landing 6.19 significant strikes per minute. Love the cardio, the experience, the level of competition. A lot of reasons to like Volk here. Um, the only concern with Volk for me would be potential durability issues, but you know he did get knocked out by Islam Mahachev, up a weight class on short notice. You know, very unprepared for that fight. If Teporia knocks him out, so be it. But you know, I got to go Volkanovski here, eight thousand two hundred. In terms of exposure, I'm thinking like a maybe like a sixty-five thirty-five in favor of Volkanovski. I do want to be heavily exposed to this main event because Volkanovski fights; they just score so well. And I think if Teporia does win, it is probably some type of finish um, early on. So love this main event from a draft perspective, but I'm going to be on the Volkanovsky side this week. Yeah, same for me. And I also have a bet on Volk. I bet a minus 125. Just the line got to a certain spot where I was like, all right, I I had some reservations when it was Volk like minus 220 and things along those lines. But once the line got to nearly a pick it just made some, to me, really just crazy assumptions about the decline of Volk. And 
I understand the idea that maybe he isn't the same guy now that he was a couple of years ago, but the betting line just assumes he isn't that guy anymore, which I don't think is the case. And then since the betting line informs the DraftKings pricing, I just look at Volk as being way underpriced in this spot at $8,200. So it's a fight to be all in on. And like you, I'm not going to totally write off Taporia, but I'm probably going to be more so like 80-20 in favor of Volk in my lineups because I don't put too much weight into the knockout against Islam Mahachev. I mean, he took the fight on, what was it, 10 days notice or something along those lines. He was clearly not in shape. He was drinking ahead of the fight, which some people think that it's some sort of indication of the lifestyle of Volk. I don't think that's the case at all. He was just not expecting to be fighting. He wasn't preparing for a fight. And then he took an ill-advised attempt to fight probably the best pound-for-pound fighter in the sport right now. So I'm not going to take any real weight into what happened in his last fight. And if we look at the overall sample size of Volk, he's arguably the greatest featherweight of all time. So I just in no way should this be close to a pick fight for me. I'm really, really strongly leaning towards Volk for this weekend and a great main event that I'm really looking forward to because Tapori also has made some strides. I'm interested to see what he ends up looking like. Uh, but let's talk about some of the payup options because this is an interesting card from a standpoint of there's only 12 fights Brady and in addition to that I think a lot of the guys on the high end are a little bit sketchy there's a chance for a handful of upsets on this card so with that in mind who are you most apt to be spending up for on DraftKings yeah so um in terms of like the 9k range I kind of hate it this week outside of one guy um who's very expensive yeah Uh, I like somebody in this high 8k range though and that's somebody who's going to be Anthony Fluffy Hernandez at 8,800 I mean this guy is just he's just an animal I mean this guy's landing almost seven takedowns per 15 minutes I was comparing his uh, takedown stats with Marab Devalishvili, and he's actually landing just slightly more takedowns per 50 minutes than Marab, which is like it's like unheard of. And he's taken on Roman Kopilov, who on paper does have a 92% takedown defense, but you know against who? Against Punahaly Soriano, against Albert Duraev, against Josh Fremd. I mean, this is a tough matchup for Roman Kopilov, in my opinion. Not only is it a tough matchup in general, but it's a tough matchup to take on a couple weeks short notice. I mean, you just don't take a, a short notice fight against somebody like Anthony Hernandez, who's going to go out there and attempt, you know, could attempt upwards of 20 takedowns. Um, I don't think Kopilov has the best cardio to begin with. So I don't like the short notice. I think a striking is incredible. I really like the guy, but the take defense is good. It's just a ground game. You know, anytime we've seen Kopilov on the ground, it's been, it's been a bad look. You know, we got 10 aided, almost 10-7 by Albert Duraev. The fight should have been stopped on multiple occasions. Got submitted by Carl Roberson. I think Anthony Hernandez takes him down at will um, and eventually submits him in the second or third round and puts up a massive score. So yeah, I think Hernandez, 8,800, he's not too expensive, um, has one of the higher ceilings on the slate this week with that incredible wrestling upside. Yeah, and I've got his numbers up on the screen here from his last few fights. Eight takedowns against Josh Friend, eight takedowns against Marc-Andre Barrio, six takedowns against Edmund Shabazzi. And so I agree with you. I think he's a great payup option. Uh, where I am going to go, though, is towards Rinya Nakamura, who's the biggest favorite on the card, sitting around minus 1,000, depending which book you look at. He's going to be taking on Carlos Vera, who is taking this fight on short notice and is really just being brought in by the UFC to lose this fight. He's 36 years old. He's got no future in the organization. He was just the warm body who was willing to say yes. And I don't typically love spending all the way up to $9,600, Brady, which is my one little bit of reservation about this. But... Here's the game theory aspect to this. There are so many fighters that are expensive that I think are live 
to end up being upset this week. And we're going to be talking more about some of the punt plays that we like. And honestly, I have a horror. I find a hard time to narrow it down to just one punt play. I like there's a whole bunch that I like getting exposure to, but one of them is not Carlos Vera. So the way I'm viewing this fight is Nakamura is a massive favorite. And as long as we could get two, maybe three fighters that are priced in the seven K range that ended up winning, then I think Nakamura is pretty live to land the optimal lineup. And I do see a lot of fights that I'm I'm not picking anybody in the seven, like $72, $7,300 range to win outright. But I think a lot of them are just way too wide of spreads on the money lines than what they should be. And Nakamura does profile somebody who's going to be a great DraftKings score. I know that in his last fight against Fernie Garcia, he only finished with 85 fantasy points. But we're looking at a guy who has a very high pedigree background in wrestling. He could wrestle. He could strike. He's got massive power in his hands. And his uh, road to the UFC fight, he ended up landing, I think it was two knockdowns in like a minute before he got the finish, something along those lines. It was, uh, yeah, two knockdowns in 33 seconds before he got the finish against Toshiyama Kazama in that spot. So just to me, Nakamura's a guy who's really well-rounded. And he's fighting a guy who's a can that's being brought in here to lose and likely to be finished by Nakamura. So typically don't love the 9,600 price tags on guys, but I'm going to make an exception for this week because of how many underdogs I think are live to end up winning. And we'll talk about those underdogs in a second, but is there anything else you like in the mid-range outside of the Volk-Taporia fight? You said it's a fight that you're going to be really heavily exposed to the same for me, but is there anything else in the mid-range outside of that fight that really catches your eye? Yeah, so there is a, a fight that absolutely catches my eye, and it's a fight where... You just you can't be confident in either side. You really can't. It's the Zhang Mingyong and and the Brenton Ribeiro fight. You got Zhang Mingyong eight thousand four hundred, Brenton Ribeiro seven thousand eight hundred. The fight doesn't go to the decision. I think it's around like minus five hundred, but it, honestly, it probably should be even wider. These guys have forty two fights. I think forty of those forty two have finished inside the distance. Like thirty seven of those forty two have finished under one and a half rounds. Both these guys are just all offense and absolutely zero defense. Like it was hilarious. I was going back and watching, you know, Zhang Ming Yang some of his fights. He literally just walks forward with no striking defense whatsoever. He wants you to hit him in the face, and then he's going to hit you in the face until somebody falls. It's hilarious. And it's kind of the same thing with Ribeiro. Like, Ribeiro's been finished a ton in his own right. He's very hittable. He makes mistakes on the feet and on the mat. Somebody's getting served here, I think, in the very first round. I don't have a confident pick. I'm going to say Ribeiro just due to the fact that he's $600 you know, cheaper, but... Yeah, I think somebody's going down in the first round. I, I think the winner has a really good chance to, to find his way in the optimal lineup. I think it's going to be a somewhat popular fight, but maybe not so popular because you know nobody probably knows who these guys are. Like who is who is Zhang Ming Yang? Who is Brenson Ribeiro? So it's a fight I'm going to try to get as much as possible. My exposure is going to be split pretty evenly, if not a lean towards Ribeiro, just due to the price savings. Getting an underdog there at 7,800 sounds good to me. The striking stats for these guys, and I know the sample size isn't all that high, but it still does paint a picture about how aggressive these guys are on the feet. Ribeiro landing 8.46 significant strikes per minute. Ming Yang, 8.86. I think this fight is going to be a car crash, and it was one that I was going to talk about, but since you already talked about it, I'm going to bring up another one in the mid-range, and that is a striker versus grappler matchup between Amanda Lemos and Mackenzie Dern. Uh, both of them have massive holes to their game. Lemos doesn't have the greatest cardio in the world. Actually, that's not only does she not have the greatest cardio, she doesn't have the second or third best cardio in the world. She's got somewhere near the uh, back end in terms of cardio. She's somebody who typically gasses out sometimes as early as the end of the first round, or not the second round of her fights. 
And then Mackenzie Dern, she's an elite grappler, maybe the best grappler we've ever seen in women's MMA, but she has no ability to land takedowns. So Mackenzie Dern only lands 0.77 takedowns per 15 minutes. And then in addition to that, 14% takedown accuracy. So to her credit, she certainly attempts a lot of takedowns. She's just not very successful. But the way that I see this fight going is if, if Dern's not able to get takedowns, I think she gets knocked out because Lemos has insane power. She hits like a dude. And then as far as Mackenzie Dern goes, it's only going to take one takedown if she happens to get one. So I think pretty likely submit Lemos on the ground. And then also, if this fight does get into the later second round or maybe the third round, then I think Lemos could be so tired that Dern could just have a, a easier path to landing takedown. So I don't know if you have a lean on the Lemos versus Dern matchup. I'm probably close to 50-50 on it. The one thing I feel strongly about, though, Brady, is whoever wins probably gets a finish and probably scores fairly well. Yeah, no strong lean, but yeah, it's definitely a fight to target. I, I love these striker versus grappler matchups, especially in the mid-range there. Like you said, if Dern is not able to get the wrestling going, Lamos can knock her out. And if Dern does get the wrestling going or extends this fight, I think the sub's very live. I guess slight lean to Dern. You know, she's a cheaper fighter. I like the grappling upside, but not a not a strong pick there. Yeah, I could certainly see if Dern doesn't get takedowns, it ends up looking a lot like the Jessica Andrade fight where we saw Dern just get pieced up on the feet. She got knocked down like four times in a yeah. round plus in that fight. So if she gets takedowns, I think she scores big with a submission. If she doesn't, I think she probably gets finished. It kind of looks similar to me on paper to like the Vieira against uh, Petrosian fight that we had last week. I think it could play out kind of similar to that. But uh, let's talk about the punt plays now because there are a lot of cheap fighters that I think are live to win this week, Brady. Do you see it the same way? And is there any particular one that stands out above the others to you? Yeah, there, there's a couple. There is a couple that sticks out. Um, the one that I do like and a guy that I think is going to be pretty low owned is going to be Val Woodburn at 6,900. Obon Elliott is like a minus 300 favorite. And I just I just don't understand why. Like there's a ton of unknowns, uh, mostly on the Woodburn side. Like we know nothing about Val Woodburn. He's 0-1 in the UFC. but but against Bo Nickel, and, and Bo Nickel knocked him out in like 30 seconds. And Bo Nickel, yeah, Bo Nickel would finish Oban Elliott in, in the first round as well. So, you know, I was going back and watching some of these, you know, Val Woodburn fights, and you, you can't really get much out of him. He's fighting some lower-level competition. Haven't really seen his ground game tested that much. What he does do, though, is he throws very, very hard. You know, this guy is actually coming down uh, a weight class for the first time in his career, which is very interesting. But, yeah, the guy looks very physically strong. It's like a truck. And Obon Elliott, when he has lost fights, it's been due to him getting knocked out. Two knockout losses. And even on the Contender Series, he was very close to getting knocked out in that second round. The ref was super close to stepping in. He was telling Obon Elliott to fight back. I thought he was going to stop the fight. So, yeah, Elliott can be hurt. He's way too big of a favorite here. And Val Woodburn has that power. So, yeah, give me Val Woodburn 6,900. I think not a ton of people are going to play him. And if he does win, it's probably some type of you know, early finish in the first or second round. I feel the same way. I like Val Woodburn, not like picking him outright to win. Just the line is so wide in this fight. And I think it's an overreaction to Val Woodburn getting starched by Bo Nickel. I was watching both fights of uh, of Woodburn, his past, and fights of Oban Elliott as well. And Elliott's not massively impressive. I kind of came away thinking that if it was Elliott who made his UFC debut against Bo Nickel and he got starched within like a minute of that fight, 
I don't know, maybe Val Woodburn would be like a minus 150 favor in this spot where people are just looking at him as a guy who was brought into the UFC to lose to Bo Nickel, which certainly there is some truth to that. But it doesn't mean that Oban Elliott should be a minus 300 favorite against anybody in the UFC. Uh, so definitely one of the fighters on the cheap end that I like getting to is Val Woodburn. But if we go ahead and look at some of the other fighters that I'm liking as well, uh, just to just list some of them off, like I think Paulo Costa is a live underdog. I think Jeff Neal is a live underdog. Uh, another live underdog in this uh, card. I think Justin Taffa is another live one. But the one that I'm going to talk about here is Paulo Costa. Rewatching the fight between Robert Whitaker and Drekis Duplessis, which I gave Duplessis almost no chance to win that fight. I don't know how you had broke that fight down at the time, Brady, but I came away really shocked by the performance of Drekis Duplessis, but also came away pretty concerned about the durability moving forward for Robert Whitaker. He's been in so many wars over the course of his career. He's absorbed so many strikes. He was in those wars with Yoel Romero. We're also, we still have to take long layoffs after some of those fights due to injuries. And I know that there's also been talk that perhaps Robert Whitaker wasn't healthy for the fight against Duplessis. He was uh, supposedly dealing with some sort of ankle injury, but that's also just kind of been commonplace for Whitaker at this point in his career. There's so many injuries that have been mounting. And one thing that really did stand out to me is that he struggled with the physicality of Drakus Duplessis. Duplessis was really able to bully him in that matchup where he was able to walk Whitaker down. He was able to throw big strikes. And then also when they got into the grappling exchanges, it was pretty clear that Duplessis was just the bigger and stronger fighter of the two. And remember, Whitaker used to fight down a weight class. And that's something Duplessis would never be able to do. That's something Paulo Costa would never be able to do either. Like Paulo Costa, his best weight class might actually be 205. So I do look at what happened in the Duplessis fight against Whitaker. And I do wonder, can Paulo Costa be physical enough to have some of the same advantages that Duplessis did? And I think he could. Now, if this fight just plays out on the feet and it's a kickboxing exchange, yeah, Robert Whitaker is the cleaner striker. I think he probably wins in that kind of fight. But if you tell me that one of these fighters in this matchup scores 100-plus fantasy points and gets a finish, I think it's more likely to be Paulo Costa. Uh, do you have any feels about the Whitaker-Costa fight? It was one that I didn't expect to have this kind of read on until I went back and rewatched the Duplessis fight. Yeah, so I just hope it happens. I hope uh, Costa doesn't pull yeah, out. But <laughs> yeah, if, if it does happen, yeah. I mean, I'm fading Robert Whitaker this week at 9K. I don't like him um, at that price tag. I don't think he has much wrestling or finish upside. I'm with you. I think if this fight does finish... It's Paul Acosta. It's hard to trust the dude, but you know what he does have is he has a lot of power, and that's you know you know what I'm worried about with Robert Whitaker. You know the durability. So, yeah, I think Costa's live down there. I have some of him. I think Jeff Neal has a ton of power as well. Another guy with power, Val Woodburn has a ton of power. So yeah, down in the slow range, there are some fighters that, like you said, it's hard to be confident in them. But I think a couple of these fighters will come through this week. Yeah, and then also just to wrap it up, that's why I feel okay with getting a good amount of exposure to Rinya Nakamura when I end up building my lineups because let's say Apollo Costa wins. Let's say a Val Woodburn wins or Jeff Neal. And you don't need all of these guys to win, but if just a couple of them end up winning this week, it's a much easier path for Nakamura to be in the optimal lineup. So thank you guys very much for watching. If you haven't done yet, like the video. Also subscribe to both the Stochastic YouTube channel as well as DFS by the numbers. Have a great slate this weekend, guys. We'll see you back here next week. Peace out. See you.